I note that the last forum which I facilitated was on our property and master planning, and the place was packed. Lent, racism, oh, that'll bring him in. Truth be told, I'm not sure we marketed it all that clearly. I'm glad you're here. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh, good and gracious God, you call us to follow in your ways. We pray that you would help us to have lives that are shaped in your love and by your love and with your love, that through our lives your love may shine forth. Guide us especially as we embark now in this season of Lent. Be a light on our path and show us the way to your beloved community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm actually delighted we're not a large crowd. I'm going to use this as an opportunity for us to reflect together. Um, my intention for this gathering today is to reiterate the invitation of the church to observe a Holy Lent, and I'm happy to explore that with you in whatever ways would be helpful for you as you are now embarking upon this season. You may have given some careful and prayerful thought and intention already to how you would like these coming 40 days to be. Something that has been stirring within you, prompting of the Holy Spirit, the work of God in your life, some intention that has risen up for you. And if there are ways that I or this gathered assembly can support you in whatever that intention or desire may be, I invite you to avail yourself of this time to reflect on that. And I have no intention of outing anyone, but if you wish to out yourself and name whatever it is that's on your heart or mind, the intention of your season of Lent, I will welcome that. We will welcome that and honor it and hold it. I also want to reiterate the invitation that I've already extended on behalf of the church, on behalf of St. Columbus, and on behalf of those who are committed to our work of racial justice and anti-racism to a particular observance in this season to pay attention to the damaging structures of race and racism in our country with a particular attention to how it is that we may take steps to repent, which is to say to turn and to repair, and what that could mean for us if we consider reparations. 
I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. And I'm going to acknowledge those of us, those of you who are joining us online for this, and note that there are going to be some, it may be a little bumpy for you, so make it up as you go along at home, because um, what I'd like to do is um, invite people to begin right now. I think it's important for us um, whenever we embark upon a new season and where we are right now is to just acknowledge for ourselves where we find ourselves today, uh, which is to say, um, how are you feeling about being at the beginning of Lent? And thank you, Jamal, for moving the mic, but I'm going to invite you, even without going to the mic, because I don't need to really capture it um, or even necessarily hear it, but I would encourage you to name it for yourself. How do you feel about the season of Lent? And I will start by saying, Lent is one of my favorite seasons. I just like that the church has set aside this discrete period of time and invites me to go a little deeper. So I always feel good at the beginning of Lent, and it's also the beginning of Lent, so I'm full of hope and optimism about all of what I might discover and how God may touch my heart anew. How are you feeling at the beginning of Lent? Anyone? Sure, go to the mic, Patty. Thank you. That would be. Well, I appreciate your reframe because I find Lent heavy and hard often. Uh, so sometimes I think I go kicking and streaming into the desert. Uh, but I know it's an important time, and I'm appreciative of guidance for how to have a, a rich season. How's anyone else feeling? You don't have to go to the mic. Challenge, thank you. Positive, thank you. Can, can I reiterate that through this microphone? Is that all right? Peter says, I owe, is that okay if I say this? Um, if I heard you correctly, and I'm going to paraphrase, um, I always um, feel that it's challenging because I seek to give something up, and I know from past experience that I don't always do a very good job of sticking to it. Fail, his wife offers helpfully. Um, <laughs> Knowingly. <laughs> Thank you, Betsy. Um, um, and, and so how is it that we might think about those disciplines and practices aware that uh, we will go forward and may or may not um, meet even our own hopes and expectations? Betsy, you want to come to the mic?
So Betsy's asking about the history of how this comes to be and how it, what, what is it that the church perhaps is inviting us to? Um, is it about giving up or is it seeking something that is enriching or adding to? Anyone else? How are you feeling? Yeah, Maddie. Thank you. If you're game to come to the mic. I'll share that as a young person, this isn't how I feel today. I remember sitting in church and just having difficulty with the idea that we were giving up something like chocolate and Jesus gave up his life. So reconciling that was always hard for me. Um, and yeah, if you want to speak to that too, because I think it's still something I wonder, like giving up alcohol or giving up you know, something or adding journaling, how I see better now how that can bring me closer, but still, it's a pretty big leap between the two. I'll say that I actually really dread Lent because um, I grew up in a more evangelical tradition, and even here at St. Columbus, the focus is on violence, um, violence against Jesus. That's how I sort of feel about it. And uh, to me, that has always sort of missed the point. And so I have a hard time because it's childhood layering to, um, to get to a deeper meeting. So this year, I'm trying to reorient my mind, and I'm really excited to use it, excited as a nerd, eager to use it for um, really thinking about race and reparations and what we're doing on that. Thanks. If I ask the question slightly differently and say, if you imagine we're gathering in Holy Week and for Easter at the conclusion of this time, is there something for which you might, you could project yourself now into the future and say, I'd like to be giving God thanks for the way in which this has been a season of dot, dot, dot. particular way in which God may bestow gifts, mercies, grace upon you, within you. Okay, let me ask one other question. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to try to hang on to the questions that you have named. I don't promise to be able to answer all of them. Um, I'd welcome if others have answers for some of them, um, but I would like to be able to come back to them. And if you've asked a question and at the end I come, don't come back to it, call me out because I'm not intentionally trying to dodge any of them. If I don't have a very adequate answer, I'll name that, but I'm not trying to miss it. Um, uh, asking again, um, and 
this, I guess, in a way is a segue from what you just said, Elizabeth. Um, here we are at the beginning of Lent, and we've been invited to turn our attention especially uh, to the issue of race and, and reflecting on um, repentance and repair and reparations. And I'm wondering how that makes you feel. How are you feeling about that? And I'm being very intentional here. If, um, I don't know that I said it quite this way in my sermon earlier or the sermon I'll preach shortly, but I'm aware that um, through reading a book and being a bunch of relatively well-educated folk, um, it is um, our natural inclination to go right to topics and use our intellect. And uh, we're being invited to learn. We're in, learn the history, learn the theology, learn what the Bible has, has uh, how the Bible has been used um, uh, in this topic, and um, uh, learn how the church has been involved one way or the other. That's all well and good. Um, but I think it's important, very important, along the way uh, that we go from the intellect down into the heart and the body, because I don't think that this is an intellectual exercise, any of this. I think this is a movement of the spirit and the movement of our hearts, and I also think um, any action that we individually, as a congregation, as Episcopalians, as the people of God in Washington, D.C., any steps that we're able to take are going to require endurance and fortitude and strength and clarity. And that's going to come from a place deeper than just our heads. Our heads will get us going or get us somewhere, but they might also give us a nice little way to be distracted and hang out over there when indeed what we need to be doing is living into it. So. Um, when you became aware that we were going to talk about reparations in this season of Lent, how did you feel, or how do you feel? Any responses? There's not a, there's not a, I'm not looking for a right answer, I'm looking for an answer, any answer. The uh, idea of reparations really reverberates in here with me. We sit in a center of racial injustice at the moment. We are a segregated part of the city. <clears throat> I know we were, some, I don't know exactly how, but I, we were somehow involved in the transformation of Reno City there was a prince, what was it, uh, St. George's Parish was here. And it is my understanding that as a church, we made a commitment to support them. And I don't know if we ever have. And I think that a reasonable goal might be for Lent as a group to reconsider our 
obligation to that parish. Um, it's kind of like an unfulfilled promise that we can still do something about. We can help with the education of the kids. We can help with however, whatever help the parish might want. And maybe what they would be most open to is are doing some things together, trying to partner rather than buy something to assuage our conscience, to rebuild an, a relationship that should have stayed, had that parish stayed there uh, over, the, over the years. Thank you, Tom. Plus two. Bets, would you come to the mic? That'd be helpful. I, first of all, I haven't finished that book, so <laughs> I'm somewhat ignorant. But my, you asked what is our reaction, mm -hmm. gut-wise as opposed to intellectual. And mine certainly is the thought of financial reparations. I don't understand how we would do it, why we would do it, if it would even work on a global scale. So. That turns me kind of, ugh. Um, and I, was, I, I guess I really need to be, be educated in how we can one-on-one, -on -one, besides one-on-one -on -one in our lives, make a, make a difference? Or is that really the way we should approach it? Is there a larger scale that's required of us? Or is it, or is it the good works of one-on-one, -on -one, but mostly I confess my ignorance um, and my general reaction being, no, 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 I can't, we can't just be handing out money. That's, that's not going to work. Thank you, Betsy. I appreciate that. I just love this book, um, Reparations. Um, about a year or two ago, um, there are lots of people who are reading White Fragility and My Mother's Hands and How to Be an Anti-Racist. And I don't know if it was the books, it was probably me, I probably wasn't ready to hear those messages. But from them, I just got um, a lot of how guilty and how terrible I ought to feel and how there, there was, I didn't feel that anything was being offered to do. And what I love about this book and I liked in your sermon and in our thinking as a parish um, I, the, the time for wringing our hands and immersing ourselves in how horrible it's all been and how we're all implicated, um, it's not over, but it can't just keep going on. I want to figure out things to do, and so I'm only about a fourth of the way into the book, but I'm looking forward to um, having my thinking prompted and our thinking prompted about what each of us could do individually, and even more so as a community, and even more so as um, neighbors to the larger community. So. Read the book. It's great. Thanks, Sarah. That's Sarah. That's Susan. I think one time in the past we tried to be in partnership, and I think it was with St. George's. I don't know if people remember about that. but. They're a small church, and we're a big church, and 
and I think it didn't work very well because of the differences in size. And there may have been a sense that we were helpers or I think it would be good to examine, if we can, what happened that time so that we don't, I think there were mistakes made. Thanks. I used to live in Petworth. My next door neighbor, Miss Roberta Jones, was once visited by Rose Duncan. And because Miss Jones, when she was able, was a member of St. George's, and um, <clears throat> Rose Duncan grew up there. So I think one thing we might do is ask Rose Duncan what would be a, an acceptable bridge. Thank you, Judy. And for those who may not know, uh, Rose Duncan is a former associate rector of St. Columbus um, and is also a black woman. The Uh, the Diocese of Washington, D.C., the Episcopal Diocese of Washington, held its annual convention at the very end of January. And at that convention, uh, the diocese approved a resolution. And I'm not going to get into all the logistics of, the, of that resolution. But in, in effect, that resolution uh, committed the Episcopal Diocese of Washington to reparations, to act on reparations. It did not specify the what and the how, the from whom or the to whom or the when. It was a statement of intention and a commitment to bring together a group of people from across the diocese uh, in a majority black gathering uh, to uh, clarify for us how it is that we might move from a place of intention to a place of action. And um, the Diocese of Washington uh, uses this as a definition. Reparations is the spiritual and material process to remember, restore, reconcile, and make amends for historical and continuing wrongs against humanity that can never be singularly reducible to monetary terms, but must include a substantial investment and surrender of resources. Once again, reparations is the spiritual and material process to remember, restore, reconcile, and make amends for historical and continuing wrongs against humanity that can never be singularly reducible to monetary terms, but must include a substantial investment and surrender of resources. During that convention, a colleague, a fellow priest in the diocese approached me and um, asked uh, if St. Columba's was addressing this in any way, and I knew at that time that we were uh, going to be embarking upon this season of Lent, and I mentioned that. And um, he said, could I get together with you and find out uh, what you're doing? Because um, we haven't talked about race at all in my parish. 
And uh, we haven't yet had that conversation that I said, yes, of course I would do that. Um, I haven't had that conversation with him yet. Um, but as I thought about that conversation, um, I have thought that it's important to say, well, don't begin at reparations. You need to begin before that. And I say that because um, I've been paying attention, many of you have been paying attention to how we have been having this conversation as a congregation over a considerable period of time. Um, when I arrived at St. Columbus in the fall of 2015, this Stirring the Waters group was uh, alive and thriving and uh, having deep conversations about race and inviting, regularly inviting other members of the congregation into those conversations. Um, uh, they continued that work, they continue that work today and continue to find opportunities for us. Um, I'm beginning St. Columbus history from my own arrival point. I recognize that. There's a whole lot that happened long before that, and some of you can help fill me in on that. In fact, we've been learning some of that along the way. Some other steps have happened. Um, uh, George Floyd's murder was a tipping point for many. It was a tipping point for our own vestry and me uh, to come out in June of 2020 and to say we need to commit ourselves to becoming an anti-racist church. Um, part of that revolved, evolved into, in addition to having the um, Stirring the Waters group, uh, an anti-racism task force was appointed to uh, look at structures of the church, the way in which we operate, um, and the systems, our, our um, curricula, our bylaws, our history, our finances, and all of those structural and systemic pieces that we may intentionally take steps forward. Um, that's a work in progress. Along the way, um, as some of you have referenced, uh, history was shared outside of the church, and then uh, Sandra Mills did some of their history within that helped us understand what had happened in uh, Reno City, which is Reno Park, and I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but there are copies of the history available for free right out in the, in the, in the Great Hall, but it's, it's how um, people in this community and uh, people of St. Columbus uh, may have actively contributed in the displacement uh, of uh, an all-black community in the 1920s and 30s as the city was developing, moving north up the Connecticut Avenue and Wisconsin Avenue corridors. So gentrification, um, hard at work. Um, and we have had numerous conversations, and I'm saying this not to rehearse the history. Well, um, um, Not to rehearse the history so much as to say um, we have been doing this um, together in fits and starts. And um, for many of us, we have been moving way too slowly. Uh, for many of us, it's a problem that we're having these conversations at all. 
Um, uh, people opted uh, when the vestry and I came out and uh, issued a statement of uh, that our intention to become anti-racist. People left St. Columbus. Uh, that is not what they sought to have going on in the midst of our congregation. Um, the vestry made that decision. I made the decision to make that commitment knowing that um, some people would say, this has to do with our polarized political landscape and it doesn't have to do with Jesus and our faith and our life as a church. Um, so we made that step. As I say, some feel like, well, we're still like way back in some ancient time and we need to be moving this, let's get going. The invitation um, for us to be considering this right now in this season has no foregone conclusions about where we're going to get to. We're going to get there together one way or the other. Um, and, um, and I think uh, that's important. And I will say that, so the vestry, um, in anticipation of our 150th anniversary, which comes up in 2024, has contemplated, is anticipating that we will have some sort of capital campaign. And it's yet to be determined why, what would be the case for the campaign, how or for what will we raise funds. But interestingly, in a vestry conversation a number of months ago, um, one member of the vestry said, well, if we think we're gonna have a campaign and we wanna raise money, if we want it to be a successful campaign, then we definitely should not say anything about reparations. And another member of the vestry said, if we're gonna have a capital campaign, if it's gonna say anything at all, it has to include reparations. I found that helpful <laughs> to hear those two voices and to say, here we go. There it is. Those are the voices. It cannot or it must. Um, now, all of a sudden, 2024 feels sooner than it did a few minutes ago uh, as we're going to think about how do we make sense of that and act on that. Um, what are crucial pieces of the history that I left out since I just started it in 2015 when I showed up. Any pieces that somebody wants to mention? Without getting into vast detail. Sarah, can you go to the mic? Well, Ludley, I just want to give you some credit because I didn't get involved with a lot of this kind of stuff until you came. And the first thing that I did at the invitation of the church was to go and see Katrina Brown's film, which was right here. And if you don't know who Katrina Brown is, she's um, a filmmaker and she's a resident or was born in Rhode Island, I believe, and found out that her own family had was the DeWolf family and was the largest slave-owning, slave-trading family in the state of Rhode Island, possibly in... The United States. In the United States, okay. So anyway, this is an incredible film. I recommend it to everybody. 
and that got us going. Uh, and the film includes a trip that her family made to Ghana to investigate their involvement, their ancestors' involvement with the slave trade. Then Katrina changed her life and devoted herself to the development of the Sacred Ground program. And with your leadership, it came to St. Columbus. And I took a class with Patty and Bill. I led a class, and it was just an incredible amount of learning. It was all learning, 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 and wonderful. So I just want to say that you may not know the history of St. Columbus all that well, but what's happened in the, since you've been here has been really life-changing for me. Um, and so now I'm involved with this little cemetery out in Bethesda, the Moses Cemetery, um, and I have been learning more about racism in the government, through the government of Montgomery County. Um, but you were looking at St. Columbus' in involvement with St. George's, because I do have a little bit of that. Is that what you were looking for? No, no not necessarily. Oh, okay. No. All right. I, I just know a little bit of that. Just, thank you. Good. Should I go into that a little bit? Or the Sandra Mills paper is out there? Is that what's out the there? The Sandra Mills paper is out there. Yeah. Great. I highly recommend anybody who's not familiar to pick up a copy of her paper. She's just done incredible work trying to get to the bottom of exactly what happened and how she doesn't go so far as to say what could be different, but you can make those, those conclusions yourself after you read it. And I think that will help you focus your thoughts on reparations, yes or no, St. Columbus, yes or no, how much, who, et cetera. The, uh, Sandra's book? Oh, do you have it? Okay. Oh, the book. Oh, the film, Katrina Brown, and I think there's an E on the end of her name. You can probably watch it on YouTube. Uh, what do you think? Do you know? I, I, I think I'll host a showing of it. It's called Traces of the Trade. Um, I come by it honestly. Katrina Brown is a cousin of mine. Okay. Um, which uh, I, maybe you did not know, Sarah, but no, I, I, I thought I, you were politely not outing me. Well, um, that means that, father? like Katrina, I too am descended from the DeWolf family. Uh, I too am descended from the family that was the largest uh, slave trading family in the United States, based out of Bristol, Rhode Island. And um, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll bring that, I've got the film. It's not available easily on YouTube, so oh, but okay. I, I, I can make that happen. Thank it you. Was, and it wasn't until I took sacred ground that I found out that my family has owned slaves. And that was a terrible shock, but I had to learn it. Good, thank you. I just have a question if that publication is available as a PDF. Could it be? Uh, I'm, I the, feel this. pretty confident yeah. that it is. I don't know. Let's see, are, is it on the not... church's website, or how would I get it as PDF? But just to have it as a PDF, and then I could just read it on the computer, and yeah, or on my phone, yeah. Okay, good. I wanted to talk a little bit about what's happened before you came.
my, my understanding, uh, my observation is that St. Columbus learns from local experience. I mean, I think many, many years ago, and I'm, I'll get to the point in a moment, many years ago, we had a member of the congregation who was a gay man whose partner was dying of cancer. And he came, the partner came and spoke to the rector's forum. And I must say that many of us changed our minds entirely on the emotional impact of his sharing with us. And we, we loved his partner who was a member of the parish, who has now, since now left and is now living in Poughkeepsie. Um, but we learn from his experience with us to grow. And I think your bringing that film uh, when you first came was a brave thing for you to do, and it helped us grow. And I think one other thing, uh, I think Terry mentioned, or someone, we had a, 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 consor a, a relationship with a, a black church across the park. This was part of the process when we were, uh, we were trying to have hands across the park. And we tried man to, to make contact with them. Uh, there was one member of our congregation at the time whose name, age, related, I've forgotten. But he used to go, Rufus. Remember, Rufus used to go to, the, to that church probably every other Sunday or every third Sunday. But it was a very small group of people who went. We were invited, but rarely did we go because they were a very small congregation, 40 or 50 people on a Sunday, and we're just huge compared with them. And we did have a, com at one point we had a sharing of choirs, and it was wonderful. They came and brought us gospel music, and we listened. I don't think we said our choir to them because they would have doubled the congregation if the choir had gone. But I think we learned from experience, and I think what you're giving to us is an experience that will make us grow. Thank you, Terry. That's fair. You're Dick. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that. <laughs> um, okay, I'm aware that it's almost 11 o'clock, and I have effectively not addressed any of the questions that were first asked in the very beginning. Um, so let me say on this piece of the conversation um, a couple of things. First of all is that uh, there's going to be a, there are going to be forums throughout this season of Lent, but there's going to be a forum on the fifth season, uh, the fifth Sunday of Lent, um, in which I invite you to come back. I'm going to be inviting us then, I'm going to invite uh, representatives from our different book group gatherings to share their reflections and to be able to come back and say, okay, where are we now? Um, has anything moved? Maybe something has moved. I'll also let you know that on the, I'm not sure the date, so I won't quote it, um, but uh, one of the two authors of the book is uh, local and is going to be joining us for a Wednesday evening. So keep an eye out for that opportunity uh, to come and have a deeper conversation uh, with him. And I will um, arrange for a showing of traces of the trade. Um, 
And the last thing I want to say about this, and this is a quote from Kwan and Thompson's book, is that they note that becoming a people of repair and engaging the practices of repair are to be, are to be done simultaneously. Becoming a people of repair and engaging the practices of repair are to be done simultaneously. The way I hear that is, like, I don't become a more generous human being because I think it's a good idea. I become a more generous human being because I act generously. And the changing of my behavior affects then who I am and how I am. And I think they're inviting us to repair our way into this and discover what that means for ourselves as we go. Um, it was not my intention to... So, um, a couple of you asked questions. I would love to get together with you in, um, in talk either this afternoon or in the coming days about how I can support you in a time of Lent. But it is now 11 o'clock, so I'm going to let you go, and I'm grateful that we were here for this conversation. <laughs>